0: You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our podcast is featured on the all Indiana podcast network in partnership with wish TV. You may find leaders and legends at all Indiana podcast Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting, let leaders and legends LLC be your partner. As you look for new ways to communicate your message please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. And as always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast today. Our guest is Jake Oakman, who has done so many things and done them so well that his bio on the website is voluminous.
1: Mm -hmm. I had my mom write it. So
0: Jake Oakman is the executive director of the White River State Park Development Commission. The executive director leads the team that manages all aspects of the park's operations, including marketing, property management, sales, and most important, the delightful concerts that you bring. Beginning in late 2019, Jake led all marketing and communications efforts related to the governor's historically successful reelection campaign. He's also been, were you state party comms director? Mm-hmm. Concurrently with that. That's what I thought. He was director of comms for state party, state Republican party, about 12 years after I did it. I think so. That was 2006, 2007.
1: Yeah, so I was uh, 19 to 20. Jake is... You told me there'd be no math, so I don't know. I guess that's 14 years, 13. We'll give you some time. Oh, thank you. I do have a pen and pencil. You look a lot better than I do. You look younger than me, which is offensive, but...
0: My grandkids are getting ready to turn six, you know. I did not know that. Well, if you get some sort of 80s rap concert here, <laughs> you, I'll bring them. Okay. <laughs> Jake is truly a wonderful friend to all of us. He's incredibly well-respected. He's a terrific guy, and we're, we're very grateful to have him on here we're going to talk a little bit about his career a little bit about white river that should take about 3 minutes mm-hmm. total and then 57 minutes about the fact that he's a huge history buff which is all we really care about
1: okay i'm ready well thank you thank you you
0: you've interesting how i look at your career and it seems like at some point without flattering myself <laughs> you made a decision like i made for me to be Successful in my adult life, I need to get involved in politics. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair statement?
1: I think that's fair. I mean, it's something I've—I'd always been interested in. And then also, I mean, when you get involved in politics, you meet so many people from so many different walks of life that just those net, that networking and those relationships open doors for you that you may have not considered when you first started on like my career isn't a an a to b to c it doesn't make any sense when you really look <laughs> at it but um yeah it goes back to wanting to get involved in politics make a difference and then also meet similarly minded people who also want to have an impact in the community
0: it's the networking aspect of it that is so important absolutely and not just among your peers but among people who can pluck your name out of a pile and go you know, talk to my friend Jake. Mm-hmm. Is that your experience Absolutely. in both cases? P.E. McAllister was obviously my
1: experience. Yeah. I mean, and that was when I was at IU, I met Jim Morris. He was on the board of or was the president of the board of trustees when I graduated. And, you know, he's a man who's had such a great influence on Indianapolis for 50 years. And, he was incredibly helpful to me. I met Eric Holcomb in 2003 when I first moved to the city and obviously he's gone on to do a few notable things in his career. (laughs) Um, and he's been incredibly helpful, but yeah, it's just in Indianapolis, it's a very, it's interesting. It's a big city, but it still has a small city feel where you kind of get into a, a, the bubble of politics and everyone knows everyone even across party lines. And so, yeah, it's those relationships and networks definitely, um, pay dividends you were student body president <laughs> i was at Indiana university uh-huh. that's Based where so, i peaked so does do we call you mr president <laughs> you you can i don't require it but you can
0: i understand i hope that governor holcomb refers to
1: you as that <laughs> he refers to me as many things but never <laughs> it, it, it's never been mr president
0: <laughs> did you did you run for student president because you thought you could have a career in politics one way or the other?
1: The truth is I ran and I was student by president of my high school, too. And the reason I did it was the same. I'm not a stellar um, academic student. You know, I do enough to get by. And so I figured that I would need some pretty nice extracurriculars if I was going to get into a college when I was in high school or if I'm going to have some sort of marketability once I graduate. So, you know, I was a solid B student uh, and then needed some something to differentiate myself. What
0: was your first political gig
1: ever? Um, Probably. I mean, if you consider that probably being sued by president of my high school was sort of the first time I ever really put myself out there. And And you were South Bend, right? Well, I was born in South Bend, but I grew up in Springfield, Ohio. I went to high school with John Legend. I like to say he's the second most famous alum of Springfield North High School. Did you stay in
0: touch with Mr. Legend?
1: No. I didn't really know him. My brother knew. They graduated together, and they were friends and in several classes together. But I did run into Chrissy Teigen once when she was in town for the Super Bowl 10 years ago. Well, for me, yeah. She was shocked and saddened. Um, as she proved to be elusive until <laughs> yeah. you finally. But that was my opening. Hey, I went to high school with your fiancé, and then we chatted. And I thought maybe there was, a, but no. I guess she wanted somebody talented and successful and so forth. He ended up being named People Magazine's sexiest man alive. Yeah, well, you
0: know. If you want, we
1: can do a recount. I think, yeah, I think that's what we need to do. What made you go to IU other than the fact that it's just such a blast that's pretty much it i mean i was born in south bend so i always had that connection to indiana it was the only school i applied to which looking back on it wasn't the wisest thing for me to do because i didn't get in on my application was put on you know we're going to need a little bit more information let's see the second <laughs> semester grades uh but I, when i was doing some college visits the summer after my junior year in high school i visited bloomington and it was I mean, it was a done deal. You go to, you, when you see the campus, it's just, you know, lock it up. Everybody, you know, we've obviously had several IU grads on the podcast,
0: whether mm-hmm. Jim Morris, Ray Tolbert, uh, lots, Tom Coverdale, who I know. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, every one of them would go back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, like, if I could go back tomorrow. And I'm like, what about if you could go back with the money you have now? And they're like, oh, my God,
1: I'd probably just be wasted all
0: (laughs) I'd be having so much fun. I'd never go to school because they were all so poor when they were in college. That's
1: the thing. Some of the the things I was able to enjoy about Bloomington 20 years ago, uh, the recovery time just isn't there for me anymore. (laughs) Um, So I might be able to go down there for like a, a day, and it would take me about a week to to get right again. So you
0: you mentioned Jim Morris. I'll ask you a question here in a few minutes. Uh, If there's a particular Hoosier leader or legend you admire most, you won't be able to say Jim Morris. We've just about retired his name since it gets mentioned so often, but since you've already talked about him a little bit, what is it about you and, and Jim working together that made a difference? he clearly took an interest in your career. And when someone like Jim Morris takes an interest, you know, when you don't have a name, right, you're nobody's son, you're mm-hmm. nobody's grandson or whatever that can make all the difference in the world.
1: Yeah. And I think it just speaks to him and how much he cares about, um, you know, propping up the next and following generations. He saw, he got some opportunities. I'm sure there are people that reached a handout when he was making some moves in his career, just graduating college. And he's always, as long as I've known him, um, you know, he'll always take a meeting. He'll always talk to somebody if they show an interest in service and not just hey, I want to make something of myself, but I want to contribute back to the community. And I think that sort of there's that generation of of leaders and legends mm-hmm. that worked for uh, Mayor Luger that um, have always had that sort of pay it forward mentality, even into sort of you know their retirement years where they. They don't really have any, they don't need to to do that. They don't need to to reach out the way they do. And I just think it's really special about him and several of his peers that continue to do that. Which other famous IU alums are you friends
0: with or or know (laughs) pretty well? When did you graduate from IU? 02. So that was the year
1: they made it Mm -hmm. to the final? Yeah. game lost to maryland right. i do like to say that you know i was the last student body president that took him to the final four
0: <laughs> so tell me about being on campus when knight got fired
1: uh, well, it was crazy it was uh i mean i went out and quote protested quote unquote but i think it was was that like, you
0: in the stonewashed jeans that i saw <laughs> yeah
1: no i wasn't but um, I think it was one. It was like a classic um, thing when you're 19 or 20, where five percent of the people were really legitimately upset, and then 95 percent of us were just like, "Hey, it's something to do. Let's go." And I didn't destroy any property. I want to state that for the record. But um, it was uh, it was just a really weird couple weeks because, or maybe one week. But I remember the night he got fired. We all sort of. Went out and expressed our disapproval, and then like four or five days later, he gave this farewell speech at I was Dunn Meadow. Ask you, if you were there. I was there, yeah. And I remember waiting just sort of in the middle of this field for like an hour before he finally came out. And it was sponsored by the IDS, which I know like Indiana Daily, the Indiana mm-hmm. Daily Student, and I think there was a lot of um, concern amongst the faculty and staff that the newspaper was supporting this like. Propaganda anti IU <laughs> propaganda speech, um, and then you know he sort of disappeared from Bloomington for several years, and is finally having some sort of reconciliation.
0: Would you? Would you have fired him?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: I mean, he, he'd have been President Brand instead of President Oakman. You mm-hmm. would have fired him.
1: Well, he yeah, because he agreed to that no tolerance. Um policy and he violated it So I don't know how you If you're president brand at the time or if you're coach knight, I don't know How you kind of walk back from that You're listening
0: to the leaders and legends podcast. Our guest is jake oakman executive director of the white river state park development commission You said that you didn't really have a stair step a leads to b b leads to c Mm -hmm. I was the opposite in the sense that i'm hoping that a leads to b leads to c When did you settle on a career? Or an interest in politics enough, like, that's how I want to make my living. And there are people around who I'm willing to work
1: 75 hours a week for for very little pay because I believe in them. It was probably um, around 2010 when I started working for Governor Daniels. I mean, again, I always had an interest in politics and did some volunteer work for Todd Young's first campaign when he was running for the House. I, I worked for Mark Mass's prosecutorial campaign. But when I was high and Governor Holcomb had a a big hand in me getting the job with Mitch Daniels. And then just sort of working in that office, especially for Governor Daniels, who is a legend for several, a living legend for several reasons, um, you know, just sort of gave me the idea that you can you can have this career and you can actually be part of something that's making a difference in the community and the state. And so then every job I've had since then, in some respect, has either been with the state or working for different campaigns.
0: I haven't done it in a long time, but I used to, like, speak in front of colleges, you Mm -hmm. know, journalism class or political science class or whatever. It's been years and years. But I always say, get involved in politics. I don't care how you vote. Get involved in politics. You will meet the best people. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Why don't you take that and run with it?
1: Well, it's true. I mean, you know, I didn't grow up here. Like you said, I don't I'm not the, the I'm not Jake Oakman, the third or fourth or fifth or anything like that. I mean, I'm just a guy who grew up in Ohio. But because I got involved in politics and showed that I'm trustworthy and I can work hard and I'm not necessarily always out for just like promoting myself, like that really opens a lot of doors for you. and again, you, you get involved in these campaigns or you get involved in these causes. And like you said, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on or or what issues you're supporting. It's sort of the same kind of ecosystem where you just meet a lot of different people. They go off and do their separate things, but you stay in contact with them. So it like keeps opening different doors and and broadening that network for you. And you get to a point where you're on the leaders and legends podcast with Robert Vane. So it's all, it all ends up being worth it. We have sponsorships available. Really? Okay.
0: Did do you have? Let me ask you. Do you give me a give me a Democrat you're a friend with? You're a good friend with, and just you know him or her, and just say you know great guy cares about the city, cares about the state. I will for their
1: protection. I won't name names. Well, I mean, now you're here at the state park. It'd be different if you're a state party still. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm sure I'm friends with a few. It's interesting then. That- because people think that they're like not friends, like. Like they
0: believe what they see or read on, on the news and I'm not necessarily blaming the media, Mm -hmm. but they honestly think that people are at daggers drawn while waiting in line in the Starbucks or whatever, like they're breaking out into fights and it's so the more I tell my friends, the more you get involved in politics, Mm -hmm. the more reasonable you will be about
1: politics. Right. And I also think the closer you get to street level, the more, like sort of the passions of political affiliation sort of fade away. So, you know, on the federal level, it is almost about R's versus D's. On the state level, it's not as um, combative or heated. On, at the city level, um, it, it's even a little bit less than that. I mean, you look at how the governor and the mayor work together um, on some issues for the city. So, yeah, it's certainly not like, you know, I see a Democrat and I'm ready to to throw down. But is that is it fair to say that's the perception that and that you have those conversations,
0: like, oh how can you be possibly be friends with him and you're like,
1: I think that happens every once in a while. I, I bet there's probably a lot more people, Republican and Democrat, that say that when people say they're friends with Jake. Like how can you be friends with that guy? He's such a buffoon. I feel sorry for your comms person. Yeah. Well, you know, we go through him pretty quickly. <laughs>
0: Did you, do you have a particular political memory that sticks out? Because I'm getting ready to ask you about, we had Michael Bryan and Kyle uh, Hupfer uh, and Pete.
1: Yes, he worked at the White House. I call him White House Pete.
0: That's true. Mm-hmm. Isn't his dog named like Wrigley
1: or something? I think his dog is named Paxton. I think it's Paxton. named after, isn't yeah. isn't he a huge Cubs fan? He is, but also Bulls. I think that's, that's a Bulls player. Because he's from the, the region. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Didn't he get drafted by the Bulls?
1: I think so. Sorry, Pete.
0: I I'm, can't help it. I'm with Jake. It just brings yeah. out the hate in me. I'm, I'm very There's proud. no hate. I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> is there a particular memory that's, that sticks out for you working in politics? I had Pete, Mike, and Kyle on the podcast talking about
1: the 60-day campaign yeah, or whatever it is my in, f- in 2016 when Eric Holcomb won the first time. My favorite – I mean, 2016 just in general is my favorite memory, and there are several like – I mean, I can remember when the Governor was Lieutenant Governor, and I was traveling with him. I was his communications Director when he was Lieutenant Governor, and we were at some event um, in Indianapolis like an urban an urban farm event, and it's when the the news broke that Baron Hill was dropping out of the Senate race, and evan by was um, was coming into it, and I was the one that got to break that to the- then Lieutenant Governor, and then just like all of the um, you know, with Mike Pence becoming the vice presidential nominee, and I went to the convention. I was uh, Governor Holcomb's body guy at the convention, so I was sort of able to see all the the backstage mm-hmm. goings on at the 2016 convention. So just that whole year was pretty insane. Even going back to when, he, when the governor was running for the Senate and was appointed lieutenant governor, and, you know, we were all kind of— Governor getting, Holcomb in 2016 was running for the Senate. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Mike Pence, Sue Elsterman, uh, was named president at Ivy tech. There was a vacancy for Lieutenant governor, Mike Pence named, uh, Eric Holcomb, Lieutenant governor. And so we were all kind of gearing up for, uh, the Pence Holcomb campaign in 2016 for reelection. And then of course, Donald Trump came along and changed a lot of things, including that elect that race. I say in every
0: podcast that I can, that's, that's relevant to him a hey, Eric Holcomb is the most down-to-earth political person I've ever met he's right there with Greg Ballard Dan Coates, Andy Jacobs I mean there's a list but mm-hmm. he's at the top of it and nobody has traveled the state more than Eric Holcomb like I cannot I can only imagine how many times he's been in Cafe <laughs> X yeah. mm-hmm. in you know County Y and I really believe that's an asset for him, that Absolutely. he has
1: traveled it so much. And that started in, in 98 or 97, whenever he came back from the Navy, from NATO, and was working for Hostetler. It wasn't something that started in 16, when he became a statewide candidate. And I think especially if you look at how the state politically has turned from being perp- blue to purplish to deep red now, I mean, Eric Holcomb's been a part of that from day one. And... The areas that he was working in before the Mitch Daniels campaign, that southern Indiana, you know, river corridor was solid blue and now it's solid red. And I think he earned a lot of of that, um, you know, turnover. And he hasn't changed either, which is interesting. You know, working as his as a comps person for him, I just never had to worry about waking up one morning and seeing him <laughs> having said something or done something um that you had to go fix or clean up. It's just like he is who he is and he hasn't changed since he's been governor. He has he didn't change when he was lieutenant governor. I mean he's the same guy. Um, it's, he's it's the same guy who gets giddy about his presidential signatures. Right. Collection. Exactly. Uh huh. Yeah. When he was working for
0: Senator Coates, I had some client in there to meet and he's like, Hey, come here before, before the meeting starts. Hey, come here, come here, come here. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, look at these signatures. Look. <laughs> and he's never changed that part of that aspect of his Hoosier life.
1: <laughs> And it's genuine. I mean, he's, he really is a history nerd. He really did take his bachelor party to Springfield, Illinois, to, to look at Abe Lincoln, uh, you know, to walk the Lincoln Trail or see some of the Lincoln sites. So, um, you know, I, 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 it's, sometimes it's hard to believe that he's the governor. Like, just having a, having had a friendship with him before he became governor, it's still even six or seven years in. Sometimes I'm just like, wow, Eric Holcomb's the governor. His office
0: was right next to mine at state party when he was running Daniels' campaign Mm -hmm. in 2008. Yeah. It's kind of like every once in a while when I see Greg Ballard, even 10 or 12 years later, I'm still like, how did you win? (laughs) He was Robert. You know it's been 15 years. I'm like,
1: I still can't understand it, but I get it. And I think a lot of Hoosiers get that too, and that's why he connects so well as a candidate. That's why he connects so well with voters because he connected so well with people you know, before he became a candidate. And then, you know, that's why I got the most votes ever for a a gubernatorial candidate.
0: You said that, you know, really didn't have many issues or, you know, didn't have many worries. What's the biggest PR nightmare you've ever dealt with? Well, uh, when I was... Caused by you or your client or just you had to like we got to comment on this somehow
1: i will say it wasn't caused by me i think it was caused by several people but when i was director of communications for the indiana office of tourism that i was there while the blow up over riffer happened and one of the reasons i wanted to so i caused that (laughs) that was you i was comms director for mike pence for indiana well thank you for that we Yeah, I weighed 180 pounds before that, and then I started stress eating. <laughs> and look at me now. <laughs> but that was uh, one of the—you know, I'd always been interested in the tourism industry, and I kind of wanted to remove myself from politics for a few years. And I thought, hey, the state tourism office, that's a good opportunity. Politics will never touch it. And then Robert Vane comes along with his referent. No, I mean, it was uh, a—I t- mean— for me it was a tough week. I can only imagine how much tougher it was for moving up, but it was like if you were from outside Indiana and you were mad at the state for something, how do you voice that? You tell the you email the state tourism office comms director that you are, you know, this this this, your state's full of this this and this. I'm never, you know, I'll drive all the way around Indiana. I'm not even going to fill up my gas tank and things like that. So, I used
0: to, I joke still that I was the only I was one of the few people, I was the only person, I don't want to overstate it, who was against Riffra and thought it was a bad idea. And mm-hmm. I'm also the only person who lost his job <laughs> because of Riffra. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, The McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our guest is Jake Oakman, Executive Director, White River State Park Development Commission. I mentioned this a few minutes ago. I'm going to ask you, is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you admire most, not named Jim Morris. (laughs)
1: Um, As an IU grad, I would say Herman Wells was somebody that, especially when I first moved to the state to go to IU, that I learned a lot about and admired how he sort of made Indiana University a a worldwide um, university. Mitch Daniels, Eric Holcomb, I mean, those two uh, men that I've had the opportunity to work directly with and and get to know on a personal level, Governor Holcomb more so than Governor Daniels, but... um, I mean those are the ones that sort of immediately spring to mind. I think Herman Wells would be kind of the one sort of that obviously he what he was still living when I started at IU. I think he might have passed the year before I got there or the year I got there, but you just going to IU you just learn a lot about him and I had the chance to get to know some administration people who worked directly for him and um and so I just learned a lot about his leadership and what he meant to the university. And if you think about what the university means to the state, that probably doesn't happen without Herman Wells. When you think about a lot of places,
0: institutions where there's a clear watershed leader, mm-hmm. there's Indianapolis before Dick Luger, afterward, there's Marion university before Dan Elsner mm-hmm. afterward, the list goes on and on, right? Mitch Daniels, you could say the same for the state, I how he that's turned right. it around yeah. mm-hmm. and Herman Wells seems to very much, fit that category. Absolutely. There. There's Indiana, Indiana university. And then there's the post wells.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right.
0: Let's talk about your current job, executive director of the white river state park development commission. We know you for the wonderful concerts held at the TCU amphitheater.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What made you want to take this position and and what's your self job
1: review after a year or two? Uh, I think I'm, I, I have better grades here than I did at IU, so I don't think I need to run to, for anything to, uh, to prove myself. Uh, I just love the park. I think it is the having that tourism background um, with the state office and with working for the Annapolis Indians before then. Um, I just realized how important tourism is to our economy and to our city. I think the the park is really, if you look at the collection of the assets we have here, between the amphitheater, the zoo, Victory Field, the museums, the NCAA, and then just all the outdoor spaces. Um, I mean, it really is sort of the crown jewel uh, as an attraction in Central Indiana. There aren't many states, there aren't many cities that could boast an urban state park like we have. And just um, that mix of, you know, we're in a museum right now doing this interview, but then we can, I'm not going to, but you can go on a two-mile, three-mile, eight-mile run outside. Um, It's just really unique. And I think one of the things that we need to do as a a staff at the park is really tell that story of what White River State Park is as a whole. It isn't just the concerts, which is great. It isn't just the zoo, but it's visionaries like Dick Luger and Jim Morris and you know, John so Mullins. many other, yeah, so many others. Um, Ted Bohm, mm-hmm. Leonard, I mean, very bipartisan. Carol, uh, Welliver, mm-hmm. you know, those men. Um, it's a tremendous legacy that, they, that they've left behind, and to have the opportunity to lead it into this next iteration of, of what we're going to become is really exciting. Cities are
0: known for being plagiarists, copycatters. Uh-huh. What do they what do you learn from other cities? If you go to a Nashville or San Antonio or some place, you're like, man, they've got something that we need to have here because we know that other cities mm-hmm. come here. Other states come here. And I mean, the Sports Corp is a great example how yeah. that's, you know, gone uh, viral, for lack of a better term, across the country. Uh, what do you learn from other cities, other tourism? And what do you think they learn from us?
1: I think they I mean you learn so much by just being a tourist by traveling um you learn what works and what doesn't work I mean one of the one of the conversations I have a lot since I've been in this job is you know our canal is this great asset, but why can't we make it like the San Antonio Riverwalk? I think I've heard that at least twice a week since I've been in this job. <laughs> well, you know, Sherry Seiwert from
0: used mm-hmm. to be a downtown India at the IEDC now, she was heavily involved with this in the Goldsmith administration. We talked about that when she came on the podcast that, you know, yes. they always have ideas to improve it or, mm-hmm. oh, this is what
1: someplace does. And and I think one thing, you know, we have that Hoosier humility and don't really like to pat ourselves on the back a lot, but I think there's a lot that has happened in this city and in the state that others have learned from. And just like you'd mentioned, the sports Corps. I think if you look at Victory Field, Victory Field was built in 1996 and is still the sort of gold standard of what minor league ballparks are. And I think just about any minor league ballpark that was built uh, after that, they come here and and check that out. And I think that's something that uh, we can really be proud of.
0: We were talking about Hoosier leaders and legends you admire. So I'll throw a name at you, a
1: family name,
0: the Schumachers. Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, they were sports in Indianapolis before Indianapolis was a sports town. I mean, if you look at what Max did with the Indians out of Bush Stadium and then Realizing that their future was going to be as a key cornerstone of the downtown. And that's another family that it's, you know, they're synonymous with minor league baseball around the nation. And they, I mean, I know Bruce and um, Mark pretty well from having worked there for a few seasons. Um, they're not boastful. They're not, you know, looking to get attention. but Very unassuming. Yeah, but it, it, they're another one of those families that um, – Indianapolis should be proud that we have them. And then just the impact that they've had on the city and then the industry of minor league baseball throughout the country is uh, is pretty amazing. You, you mentioned the particular complex for lack of a better term or enclave where we
0: are, where there's museum mm-hmm. and then there's baseball and there's the IMAX and there's the park and the zoo. Is this unique among big cities to
1: have all of this sort of right here in a relatively compact area? I think it 's unique to have it all under the umbrella of of one government organization and how we interact with the different attractions, each one is a little bit different, but it 's all part of the White River State Park campus. I think there 's other cities that have looked to this and have sort of said we need to um, you know group all these cultural attractions together or or something like that. But I I can't think of any that has like a a government agency dedicated to like promoting and preserving and growing these types of cultural amenities.
0: How important
1: are, if Mayor Bauer is listening to this podcast,
0: because he loves to drive. Mm -hmm. He's driven from South Carolina to California like four times in 20, like in the last year. He loves it. Well, he's probably going to get there quicker than if he flew Southwest, so... Well that's certainly true. I just can't imagine a Marine like him could get from A to B without someone from the Army saying, Turn here, turn here. He loves bicycles, mm-hmm. trails, bicycling. How much does the fact that the cultural trail is, is, is right here? Mm-hmm. How much does that make a difference and you can actually get on the the trail, the, the towpath yep. and go all the way up to Butler? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're situated and it may be you know, cart or horse, but clearly you are situated in a magnificent part of downtown that draws people mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, cause you're kind of out of the mile square a little bit that, mm-hmm. that people are like, well, we don't care.
1: We'll walk, we'll walk the extra four or five blocks just to go over there. I think that's uh, really important. I like to sometimes say that white river state park is Indianapolis's backyard. Especially if you live down here, you may live in an apartment and you don't have access to green space and when I was growing up, you know, the backyard is where you went to play. It's where you went to just kind of burn off some energy and things like that. And you're right. I mean, we have the largest Pacers bike share uh, hub is in the park. The cultural trail comes through the park. Um, you know, we do have those attractions, but we also have miles and miles of trails and green space that you can just sort of get out, ride your bike, go for a run. Uh, and things like that. And again, like having that sort of amenity, even though it's a 250 acre amenity, but having that kind of amenity in a city, I mean, it's a huge driver for quality of life, which leads to positive impacts on economic development and things of that nature.
0: Do you get to show folks around, let's say, executive from company X is thinking about relocating here? Does the IEDC or, you know, the mayor's office, the governor's office say, Jake will walk you around and show you on a, you know, there's not many things more welcoming than a beautiful fall day mm-hmm. in Indianapolis.
1: 70 degrees, people are all out. <laughs> you get, is that part of your... Every once in a while. And, I mean, the park is so well known that um, some of those folks will just do the tour themselves, which is probably a better sales pitch than having me do it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I know that our park and, the, again, the collection of attractions we have within the park is is a huge sales piece for Economic development for conventions when Visit Indy is is trying to bring fifty thousand, hundred thousand people conventions into the city. Um, White River State Park plays uh, plays a part in attracting those. So it's a big. I mean, it is. It's a great place to go to a movie, state's largest movie screen. It's a great place to see a concert, but it also has this like daily impact on the quality of life in the city that I think um, really needs to be appreciated.
0: In a sense, it's always activated.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're closed overnight, but um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But I mean, there's you don't need to. You can come and enjoy the park for free. You don't necessarily need to go buy a movie ticket to be in White River State Park. And I think that's one of the things from a messaging standpoint that people don't fully understand that you know, if you go to an Indians game, you're in White River State Park. If you go to CZZ Top at the TCU Amphitheater, you're in White River State Park. Um, if you go to the Idol Joe, you're in White River State Park. So what leads me to the logical next question what's next well we are i will say before that i don't know if you ever think that your cell phone is listening to you but i just got a notification from southwest airlines i have no trips booked i haven't looked at anything but one just but popped slandered up. them and uh-huh. they have and now they're like hey we have some big sales
0: i thought maybe it was pete seat saying <laughs> knock it off oakman
1: <laughs> that, i'll get that text later <laughs> what's next for the park Um, as most of your listeners are probably aware uh, Alenco is building their global headquarters where the uh, GM stamping plant used to be They're they're taking a a piece of that I mean that's a huge footprint of land and they're taking a piece of it and building their global headquarters the park will get um, some land that's basically going to be kind of the front lawn of the Alenco headquarters and then to the river so that whole Um, It'll be about 12 to 15 acres total will be uh, an extension of White River State Park. So we're in the process of kind of deciding how we're going to design that uh, park extension, what sort of attraction, if any, that we'll put down there. Um, And it's going to be uh, a pretty exciting next few years for the park. And just for that whole section of downtown, I mean, there aren't many cities that have an undeveloped i don't know the acreage of the gm site but i think you'd be hard pressed to find many cities that have an undeveloped uh, piece of land that close to downtown that large and the city of indianapolis has been
0: aggressive in its messaging or in its plans to do something with white
1: river like yeah. now's the time to finally get that moving Yeah, and I think there's been literally billions of dollars invested into cleaning up the river, Um, not just the part that comes through downtown, but all the way up in Hamilton County, down um, through Morgan County. And there's a desire, again, our governor, Eric Holcomb, really wants to see some some recreation on the river. I know that that's part of Mayor Hogsett's um, plan, too, for the river. So between the park extension adjacent to Elanco and then just the ability now to really promote some sort of uh, activities on the water, again, it's going to be a, a really exciting. I like to joke and say that we're called White River State Park, but we're not a traditional state park and you can't really do anything on the White River. Um, At least one of those two things will change. Let's talk concerts. That clearly has put State
0: Park, White River State Park, in a different Mm -hmm. spot than it was 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I used to come down here. I think it was Starlight Musicals or something in the tennis courts. (laughs) They used to have concerts on the IUPUI tennis courts. Oh, wow. In the 70s and 80s. I think maybe Starlight. Was that there? Or maybe that was Butler or Close Hall. I can't remember. Anyway, that was the concert spot. Mm -hmm. down here unless you want to be like my brothers and sisters who saw led zeppelin for nine
1: dollars oh wow back in 76 77 can you imagine paying nine dollars to see led zeppelin i remember when they did that brief reunion it's probably been 12 years ago now they had that big concert in london and there was talk that the three of them and then bonham's son were gonna do a tour and i was just like there i would pay an unfortunate amount of money to see that show if it was anywhere within like a 300 mile radius of where I live. Oh, I pay 5,000 for a ticket. Well, you're, I mean, you're a lot more successful than I am. Your net worth is a lot higher than mine, but I'm here interviewing you. Well, yeah, but we're going to sponsor the podcast. I think, right. (laughs) Do
0: you have a favorite, a favorite concert? I saw ZZ top here last summer, like a favorite concert I've seen
1: here or just Mm -hmm. in general, just uh, that you've seen here. Uh, the interesting th- yes I, I mean there's been so many that you I, get everybody here yeah, I mean, it's and not that's like thing- just a particular group of musicians right. or genre of music that's what's so cool about this job is like um, there are acts that I got to see that I wouldn't have otherwise like um, I mean one that comes to mind is Lyle Lovett that was a really great show I would have never gone and seen Lyle Lovett before but he put on a great show ZZ Top I'm, I'm a classic rock guy and i mean zz top is legendary robert plant talking about led zeppelin he came through with allison Krauss, and he and i actually made eye contact backstage so that was uh pretty cool do you, do you make it a point to introduce yourself to the folks i don't i think i could but i just don't want to i don't want to i mean they're here to perform and they you know every artist probably has their own pre-show ritual and i don't want to just be like hey i'm you know all this. Have is you found me. some that are
0: just artists that are just nicer than others? Like they'll
1: just hang out There's and some, have some like, small if you, talk. If you're kind of a yeah, I mean the cool thing about Robert Plant is we have this building called the Pump House, and during the concert season, it's where the catering sets up for all the stage hands that are mm-hmm. in during the day and setting up the show. And what was really cool, so I went there to get a free dinner, because obviously, and I'm sitting there eating supper, and a lot of the stagehands are eating dinner, and Robert Plant comes in. And I mean, this is like one of, next to Roger Daltrey from The Who, he's probably my favorite classic rock singer. It's exactly the same thing my sister says. Well, she's right. And she's almost 65, so you're (laughs) down with the right people. That's right. And Robert Plant, just he's wearing, like, board shorts and a T-shirt, and he has his little mug of tea. And this is, like, one of the biggest legends in rock history who could just stay in his trailer or go out. and. But he just, like, kind of looks around and sits down with the stage crew. And they ended up just talking about soccer for, like, 20 or 30 minutes. And then he just gets up and says, all right, let's have a good show tonight. And then goes and does his thing. And I just thought that was really cool that... You know, he just doesn't hang out in his trailer, go out on the stage, do a show, and then back to the trailer and out. So most you've ever paid for a concert ticket anywhere? I paid, I think when What's Left of the Who toured with Quadrophenia, I think it was back in 2013. Yeah. They were at the Yum Center in Louisville, and I sat pretty close, and I paid some money for it. I mean, I think it was like 300 bucks a ticket or something like that. Who do you want to
0: come play at the TCU amphitheater. I mean, I
1: I joke with our Live Nation partners and say you need to get Pete and Roger here from from The Who. I mean, let's just blow it out. They but
0: should Yes, agreed. Pro- I only saw The Who cuz I was accompanied I accompanied Mayor Ballard to the Super Bowl where the Colts lost to the Saints. Oh
1: yeah, mm-hmm. and they were the halftime mm-hmm. act. Yeah, they got mixed reviews for that halftime show, but I mean, they're still kicking. They they were at Ruoff. That was actually the last concert I saw before the pandemic was when they came through and played up at Ruoff with some musicians from the Indianapolis Symphony. And that was a pretty cool show. You mentioned the the COVID pandemic.
0: What was your what was your sense that was going to happen? You know, once we all thought that the, the inevitably the I'm not going to say hysteria because that seems pejorative, but the mm-hmm. restrictions were people dying to come back to the park. I couldn't wait to, I mean, I rode my bike through it no matter what, but could you just like, we this isn't going to kill us. This will make people want to be here even more.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wasn't here, uh, when I wasn't in this position, when the, when the pandemic hit, I know obviously it was challenging for the previous executive director and the team as it was for everyone. But again, the nice thing about the park is it's a park. So yes, the IMAX was closed, or yes, we couldn't have a concert season, but we still had the trails, we still had the outdoor spaces, we still had the opportunities to social distance. But yeah, I think what you saw, especially 2022, this last concert season was really the first full post-pandemic TCU amphitheater concert season. And we did like 52 shows, which is more than double what we would have done when it was just the lawn and before the amphitheater was built. And that was everyone who knows two chords or more on the guitar (laughs) was ready to get out and tour. Everyone had a pent up desire to go see live music, I think. And if you talk to the leaders of the individual attractions, I think all of them will tell you that 2022 was close to, if not, you know, better than 2019 as far as visitors and dollars and things like that. So, yeah, I think people were ready to get back to normal. And we didn't I mean, we didn't have any issues with. Uh, I mean, we were safe and followed the protocols. But once once we got our concert season going, we didn't really have any issues with with COVID or anything like that.
0: You are listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest is Jake Oakman, Executive Director, White River State Park Development Commission. Jake is an avid fan of the Boston Red Sox. Mm -hmm. That's accurate. What's your favorite Red Sox
1: memory? Besides winning a World Series. I was about to say when Edgar Renteria hit a comeback under Keith Folk in 2004, and he (laughs) underhanded it to Doug Mankiewicz and ended the 86-year Curse of the Bambino. Was
0: that that the year, because I don't follow baseball like I used to, was that the year they won it, where they were down 3-0
1: to the Yankees and came back? Mm -hmm. I was going to say, that has to be... Dave Roberts stealing the base in in the bottom of the ninth of Game 4 after Kevin Millar got the walk against Rivera... I mean, but even then it was like I remember my first reaction to that game was, okay, at least the Yankees aren't going to sweep them. And you have to remember the year before that they lost in seven games to the Yankees with the extra inning walk-off home run. So I was just thrilled that, okay, they won a game. They won that one in extra innings. I was like, okay, they're not going to get swept. And then, like, the next game was another extra inning. I think that's the one Ortiz either hit a a walk-off home run or a walk-off double or something like that. But then that's when, and then Game Six, Kurt Schilling on the bloody ankle. I mean, just that whole like ten day period from Game Four, of the ALCS, to Game Four of the World Series was probably the closest I'll get to heaven on earth, um, as long as I'm living.
0: Kurt Schilling belong in the Baseball Hall of Fame without question. He's being punished because. I'm, well,
1: I don't. I'm not going to get into the how the voters are deciding, but. If you look at his body of work as a baseball player on the field, especially as a big game pitcher, I mean, guys like him, if Jack Morris is in the Hall of Fame, I think you have to make it, which he deserves. I think you have to make an argument that Shilling—he's not doing himself any favors uh, as a candidate. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> thinking of needing your PR, right, yeah, Kurt, <laughs> put the phone down. But um, but I think his body of work as a baseball player. Puts him in the hall of fame. Jake is also
0: a longtime and fervent supporter of Indiana University basketball mm-hmm. and other sports. Give me your all-time
1: IU basketball starting five in my lifetime or all. T- okay. Oh man, that's a tough. You were one. president of the student body. You tell me. That's true. I mean, I'll just take that starting five from 0- from O two, but no, I mean, you got. I think you got to put man. I mean, I would, I, I start with Kent Benson. I got to know him a little. I haven't, um, talked to him in a long time, but I got to know him a little bit when I was a student and just that team.
0: He was running for secretary of state. uh That
1: was actually probably my first like real Indiana political involvement was his secretary of state campaign. A guy named Jim Banks connected me with, uh, with Kent Benson and, um, and I got involved in that race, but man, that's a tough question. There's just names coming into my mind. I'm trying to, like, put together how you would put a starting five between, like, Benson, May, um, Buckner, uh, Thomas, Chaney, Alford, uh, and then, like, the winner of a new car, Jared Jeffries. I don't know if you saw that. Price is right, uh-huh. which he'll never fit into. It was so right. funny. No, That was the other thing. It was, like, so let me Kia ask you Sorrento a, or something Let me like
0: ask that. you this question. Uh-huh. This is what my friend Mark Apple and, and the wonderful Bill Benner and I talk about when we have lunch, speaking of IU grads. Mm-hmm. I'll take the 76
1: National Championship team and you can have the field of every other IU team. You I think you win. I think you could take that 76 championship team and take the field of any other championship. I think that's the greatest college basketball team that's ever been assembled. And I mean they were one Injury away the previous year of of basically going two years undefeated when it was a lot more competitive than when UCLA was doing it you know ten or fifteen years prior a little bit more honest well yeah mm-hmm.
0: if you ask Coach Knight
1: uh, <laughs> I thought one of Knight's most underrated accomplishments is
0: the fact that he won thirty six in a row in the Big Ten
1: mm-hmm.
0: went undefeated to thirty six and O in
1: two years in the Big Ten that is shockingly impressive. Yeah. I mean, he was a good coach. It's just sad the way it ended. But I am glad that they've had this sort of, I thought like you know, I wouldn't care anymore because it had been 20 years or so since he got fired. And he made it clear that he wasn't interested in a reconciliation and, but whatever it was two or three years ago, when he came to the Purdue game, I was a lot more emotional than I thought I would be. I mean, I didn't cry like I did when the Red Sox first won the world series, but it was, um, it was actually really cool to see that there could be some sort of reconciliation and some closure. And now that, He's been, you know, coming to practices and stuff. I do think that's a nice final chapter to to his time at IU. Another reason why we love
0: Jake so much is he is a huge history buff. Are you saying that because of
1: my weight? Which part? The huge? I was calling you buff. Oh. Dang it. I needed to, yeah, okay. He I got to look on the bright side. It's all about the spin, bruh. That's, well, see, this is, I still learn from you every day. I learn from you. <laughs>
0: Which I know you're a big World War II history fan. What mm-hmm. is it about that conflict that that gathers garners your attention more than others?
1: I think it's recency more than anything else. I mean, I both of my grandpas is you know most people my age. Uh, both of my grandpas served in World War II. My my dad's dad um, was actually wounded at Mount Cassino in Italy. Um, my mom. Oh, dad,
0: at the monastery.
1: Yeah. mm-hmm. He was shot in the leg by a sniper and uh, my my mom's dad served uh, in England during the war so just and then just like that whole generation I mean they were um, I was really close to my grandparents growing up, especially my mom's parents and just sort of having that direct connection to that generation and that war um, meant a lot and then just you know you get into some of the I mean it's just got some pretty colorful characters that you can study on an individual basis. Some of the individual generals, um, the stakes were enormous when you, when you think about what was going on in both theaters. Um, and then just, again, that's sort of like the, the GI was just, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds, and they put aside whatever they were doing or whatever their ambitions were, went overseas to save the world. And that is not an exaggeration. And then just kind of came home and went on with life. And I think that, you know, just that whole generation, it's, they're pretty amazing for having done that.
0: Do you have a favorite world war two book?
1: I do. I mean, the one, the Rick Atkinson wrote a trilogy, um, army at dawn. Yeah. The army at dawn guns at last light and day of battle, I think are, well, Battles, the second one. I would say if you really want to know what the United States did in the European theater, that's, um, you should read those three books. It's a commitment. I mean, he is very detailed in his research. Um, but, um, I mean, there's several... I've really gotten into sort of the the espionage stories. Like, there's mm-hmm. a book called Operation Mincemeat. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's an author, Ben McIntyre, who sort of writes these... Um, tr- I mean, they're true, So, but these books about, like, uh, the subterfuge and uh, the spy stories of World War II and um, Operation Mincemeat, Operation Double Cross, which was about all the D-Day um, things. Those two come to mind. But just on on the whole, as far as Europe goes, the Atkinson trilogy is pretty, uh, it's pretty good. We have had a half dozen,
0: I think, Chris, world war II authors on the podcast who've written terrific books about them. And actually, uh, I just finished today a book called Hitler's American gambit. No gamble Mm. gamble. And it's about the, four days in between the attack on Pearl Harbor and then the declaration of war mm-hmm. on the 11th by Germany against the United States. And that author, Brendan Sims is coming on the podcast. Oh, good.
1: Uh, there is so much to mm-hmm. learn about that.
0: Do you have another era before we get to the final five questions? Do you have another era that's kind of, the like- rev-
1: I like that revolutionary, um, era in that sort of first generation, uh, you know, kind of from the revolution to maybe the Madison presidency. Cause I think Quincy Adams was after him, right? Correct. So yeah, I mean, he's literally a second generation. Um, so those two, and like Joseph J. Ellis is one of my favorite authors from that era. Um, so those are the two that, uh, that I read a lot about. Do you remember going to see saving private
0: Ryan in the theaters? I do. It's the only mo- – no, there's only been two movies, at the end of which nobody got up, Saving Private Ryan and Schindler's List. Oh, Everyone yeah. just kind of sat there for a while trying to absorb. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that movie? Did either your grandparents' grandfather, see it?
1: My grandfather – my dad's dad died before that movie came out. Uh, my mom's dad wasn't a big moviegoer. He did – like – he saw Patton in the theaters, and then he didn't see another movie in the theaters until, I think, Schindler's List. Um, but what I'll say two things about that. One, that movie, for as visceral as it is and for as accurate as it is, and you, when that movie came out, you would hear stories about veterans having to get up and leave, especially during the D-Day scene because it was too real. But having been with Governor Holcomb to Omaha Beach, uh, and I have a little jar of sand on my mantle from from Omaha Beach... That still almost doesn't do justice to like being on the beach and looking up and seeing even 75 years later, you can still see the defensive bunkers and everything that those men had to, to go into. And I, I remember we, we went to Omaha beach, we saw that. And then I watched saving private Ryan on my iPad on the drive back to our hotel. And, just being there and being on the beach and realizing what those guys had to do. I mean, there was no option. There was no, failure was not an option. And I know Eisenhower wrote that that letter, that famous letter that never got sent, where he takes all the blame for the failure. But um, it's amazing to me that they were able to accomplish what they accomplished on that day. Did you go to the cemetery? Mm-hmm.
0: I always. I, I've had some friends say they were going to the cemetery. I went probably. 25 26 years ago and I just say be prepared to be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And they're like yeah, I can't wait to go it, and I'm like it's not yeah. I'm like, you know, there's Arlington <laughs> National is obviously a very, mm-hmm. you know, powerful place. I mean, even walking around Crown Hill and seeing mm-hmm. some of the names, but I say just 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 understand that it's going to hit you. Yeah. And you're going to be like everybody else who it hits mm-hmm. when they walk in there. And I just read an article there's a there's a team of of French of most of them are elderly, are like French senior citizens. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're there, do you notice that the the birth and the date, you know, and their names and all that stuff is all they're all like gold. Mm-hmm. There's there's a group of Frenchmen, and all they they do this as their work. They take the actual sand yeah. from Omaha. Go ahead, finish, Jake. Well, you know what I'm talking about.
1: And then they rub it into the to the name and the dates on the on the t- or the crosses or the stars of David to make them pop out it's an incredibly moving like again is 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 accurate from a a violent standpoint as Saving Private Ryan is um being there on the being at Omaha Beach and at the American Cemetery on like the calmest day when in the off season of tour we were there in a September um that's when it really hits you and what was fascinating to me is um we also on that same trip Happened to drive through Luxembourg to get to our next meeting, Mm -hmm. and that's where George Patton Patton was buried. Say you go to his? we did. And what's so Teddy Roosevelt Jr. is the highest ranking. He received the Medal of Honor. He received the Medal of Honor, and he's the highest ranking. I believe he's the highest ranking officer buried in at um, at Normandy, and he's just sort of one of many. You go to as far as like being in a row. He's not like set aside. Here's a general or anything like that. Had a heart attack, I think. On the yeah, beach. I think it was like well, it was like three or four weeks later. But yeah, Omar
0: I mean, Bradley said they asked him what was the greatest act of heroism he'd ever seen, and he said Ted Roosevelt Jr. on Omaha Beach. Yeah, walking
1: with a cane, by the way, uh, storming the beach. You go to Luxembourg and at Patton at the American Cemetery in Luxembourg, which is where a lot of the Battle of the Bulge um, soldiers are buried. And I think there's an Indiana recipient of the Medal of Honor who's buried at that cemetery, but it's like Patton is front and center of his troops, and then they're all, like, fanned out, like, they're, they're at attention in front of the general, and even still in the afterlife, he's, he is the general. Well, we have a podcast
0: coming up that you'll enjoy. It's with, uh, we recorded it about a month ago, I think. It's with Martin Dugard, who oh, yeah. is the mm-hmm. co-author of Bill O'Reilly with all those books. But mm-hmm. he wrote a book about the race to Berlin. And, okay. and Patton plays a huge part of that. It's a terrific book, but mm-hmm. it plays a big role. That's on my list to get to. The only thing that I can compare Normandy to, and it's not a comparison per se, but just where you're there and you start looking around and you're like, what in the hell? How could they possibly have done? Mm-hmm. Is Seminary Ridge at Gettysburg. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you stand there and you look to. And you're like, in 85 degree weather, wearing wool uniforms, you're going to run across this Uh, entire. Mm -hmm. We have reached the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same
1: five questions of all of our guests. Jake Oakman, are you ready? I was born ready. What was your first job? I was a paper boy for the Springfield News Sun in Springfield, Ohio. I've been working since I was eight years old. These kids, they don't know what that's like. So, you know, you should run for something on that platform. <laughs> yeah. What it was, was the your son of a post? No, someone else. <laughs> what was your first concert that um, you paid for went to? It was probably, we didn't get a lot of concerts through Springfield. I mean, there was a lot of like community, um, summer concerts and stuff like that. The first one I probably paid to was, was actually, um, I think it was the black crows. They played in Louisville, um, I was either senior at IU. I mean, it was late for like a first Mm -hmm. concert, but uh, that was a hell of a show. That's a good rock and roll band. I'm glad to see that the brothers have buried the hatchet and getting along. Yeah. Or they, somebody probably said like, here's a balance sheet (laughs) of what you guys would get (laughs) if you just, you could fly separately. You could drive. You don't have to talk to each other, but
0: like the Davies brothers from the kinks, uh if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you recommend?
1: Um, actually I'd probably, you, if you, if you ask me this question in an hour, you'll get a different answer. If you ask me tomorrow, you'll get a different answer. But talking about the revolutionary era and Joseph J. Ellis, his book, um, founding brothers that he got the Pulitzer prize for, I think is an excellent, um, book. And there's, it's basically each chapter is sort of its, uh, it's own story about, um, a significant event during the founding of the country. And I I think that should be required reading in every high school.
0: We have tried to get him on the podcast. Really? Yeah. And he's, you know, he's a little bit older, but we're going to keep trying. I've done several of these revolutionary era podcasts and, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to have him on. His books are just
1: so readable. Mm -hmm. He's the best. I think when it comes to that era, he's the best. I mean, I can't think of anyone as consistent as, As he's been, but that Founding Brothers is tremendous. And what's interesting is, like, especially for as big as Hamilton got, um, you know, the Broadway show. There's the the whole the room where it happens. uh, You know, that story is in Founding Brothers about that deal and stuff like that. So that's just the one that comes to mind today. Like I said, when you go and when you're buying me a drink in a couple hours, uh, I'll probably have a different answer. All right.
0: You ready for this one? Since I know you listen to the podcast, you're very kind. You know which one's coming. If you could witness any event in history, be there in person as it happens, which event would you
1: choose? I mean, I I would have liked to have been in the stands in 2004 when the Red Sox won. But I think being, I mean, the real answer would be if I could just have been a fly at the wall at the Second Continental Congress when they ratified the, you know, passed the Declaration of Independence, argued about it. It, I mean, that would have been a hell of a thing. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today,
0: two hours off the record, talk about anything you want. Whom would you choose living today?
1: Uh, e- either Pete Townsend or Terry Francona. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends,
0: a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmont Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. As always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Our guest has been Jake Oakman. And if you have listened to this podcast in full for the last hour, you will, you will understand exactly why Jake has been so successful. He is kind. He's generous. He's funny. Good looking. He's smart. He's good looking. Tall, Tall. Single. Single. For now. Full head of hair.
1: Yeah. Gorgeous hair. Great hair. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Jake. If for you want to run your podcast. hands to it.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com.